As a doctor, you can't face that. You can't face that. You have no idea what the hell you're doing. Right. So then, therefore, you have to change the fact that it's not reversible. It's chronic and progressive, and I'm doing the best that I can. It's like aging. You might want to get young, but there's no way. You always get older. Type 2 diabetes, you say it's the same thing, but it's not true. And that's the problem. It's not true, and it's a reversible disease. And it comes down to this. What we did was we took a disease that's essentially a dietary disease, and we gave a lot of drugs. And then we wonder, why isn't your diabetes getting better? Because we're giving you drugs to treat the blood glucose, but here's the thing. We're giving all these, we're so focused on treating the blood glucose that we forgot to treat the diabetes. Hey listeners, welcome to this week's episode of the Human Enhancement Podcast. And I'm really excited to bring back one of our most popular guests ever on this program, Dr. Jason Fung. Uh, It's been about almost two years now. And for those that are new listeners or want a reminder, Dr. Jason Fung is a doctor, obviously, but uh, specializing in nephrology, a a section of internal medicine. But I think what he's really become a world-leading expert on is intermittent fasting, uh, low-carb, high-fat diets, especially in a clinical use case. He's a founder of Intensive Dietary Management, which has treated thousands of patients and managing their metabolic syndromes through fasting in, in low-carb, high-fat diets, and also co-author of two best-selling books, Obesity Code and The Complete Guide to Fasting. Uh, welcome back to the program. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been great. I, I was just saying, it hasn't seemed like two years. It's been just flown right by. So <laughs> great to be here. Yeah, and I think that just thinking about the momentum, I think two years ago, we were just starting to get into fasting as a community with WeFast. I think we had maybe a couple thousand people at, uh, at most. Now we're you know over 20,000 people plus in that group now. You know, that was around the time you know, the complete guide of fasting in obesity code. I think we we're published around 2016. I think we, we chatted in 2016. So it was just when your books just started coming out. But even at that time, you had huge following uh, as these books were being released. So what's it like from your experience? I mean, we can I can share a little bit of what it's like over the last two years from my experience and, and what we've seen the community grow. But I'm sure sort of in the center as one of the, I would say, the key thought leader in around a lot of these topics. What it's what has it been like for you? Yeah, it's been very interesting because uh, we're seeing it sort of move into sort of areas that you would never have thought. So, for example, I come at it from a very medical sort of standpoint. So I do kidney disease. I deal with a lot of type 2 diabetes. So that's been my focus. I treat a lot of type 2 diabetics, and I'm all about weight loss, getting people off their medications, reversing their type 2 diabetes. And that was my sort of initial interest in it. But there's so many different reasons that fasting can be beneficial for somebody that we're seeing it in uh, elite athletes, for example. We're seeing it in people doing martial arts and uh, ultimate fighting uh, sort of thing. We see all these people who are doing, talking about training in the fasted state. Uh, so it's really, and we talk see about cancer, we see about Alzheimer's disease. So all these different areas that can benefit but are really people starting to really think about uh, why they're so beneficial. Uh, From a medical standpoint, so when I started doing this about five years ago, boy, everybody thought I was crazy. Like 100% of people thought I was crazy, except for you, maybe. That was about (laughs) it. (laughs) But from a medical standpoint, it's changed because 
Now you're seeing it discussed, you know, on the Today Show. It's been discussed on The Doctors. You see it discussed on different shows. So it's actually getting out there now. There's still a lot of skepticism about it, but at least people are talking about it. For example, I'm coming down to San Diego uh, for the conference, the Spring Conference, which is the Obesity Medicine Association, which is the, the largest association of obesity specialists, and I'm doing the keynote. So it's like, okay, well, we went from boy, this guy's a real quack to, hey, what can we actually learn about fasting that may give us an option? And that's sort of the way I had always positioned it is like nobody has to do it, but it's an option for you. Don't eliminate your options because it may work very well for people. And some people it's a great option. Some people it's not a very good option. But the bottom line is that you, you need to keep your options open. Yeah. So why not do it? And and that's so there's been a very large change. So even amongst the medical community, which is one that I obviously uh, spend a lot of time in, I, I speak uh, at medical conferences and I speak at sort of local uh, talks to doctors. And you see that there's this real growing acceptance that, hey, we should really think about this because it makes a lot of sense. And then from from your standpoint, you see this sort of huge interest, like the, the, this huge wave of interest. You see uh, intermittent fasting on all kinds of sort of mass media, social media. The the interest is really getting to sort of, you know, to fever pitch. It's, it's, yeah. it's great. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is, one, people are trying and seeing good results. But two, I think that published data is becoming more and more compelling. I mean, like Mark Madsen at the NIH is publishing good work. There's just a bunch of researchers in the broad fasting, ketogenic diet, ketosis space that are, I think, doing good work on the RCT side, just publishing good, good work. You know, it, is, it seems interesting. I think there's like other companies or groups around ketogenic diets like Verta Health publishing interesting results for the ketogenic diet, reversing a lot of endpoints of type 2 diabetes. So I think it's one... A, a, a perfect storm of data out of peer-reviewed journals to clinicians like yourself seeing good results with patients. And then I think the end persons themselves are just like saying, hey, like I actually am like off my insulin meds. I'm off my diabetes meds. Uh, I feel way better. I've never like been this healthy where something's working, right? I mean, I think- Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that the, the, the thing is that ketogenic diets and intermittent fasting are sort of related approaches because in the end, what they're trying to do is really lower insulin. Sort of uh, the acknowledgement that too much insulin is really the underlying cause of obesity and type 2 diabetes. They're both sort of diseases of hyperinsulinemia, which is a word that means too much insulin in the blood. So if hyperinsulinemia is the cause of all this, we used to say that, oh, these are diseases of insulin resistance, but that doesn't help you because then it's like, okay, then what causes insulin resistance? You could say meat causes it, then you should eat less meat. That didn't really work. But if you understand that the cause of these diseases is hyperinsulinemia, then it leads you to say, okay, well, if you have too much insulin, how are you going to lower insulin? Because a lot of drugs are not going to do that for you. Right. And one way to do it is cut the carbs to sort of a very low uh, level, which is a ketogenic diet. Another way to do it is intermittent fasting because, again, if you don't eat anything, your insulin levels are going to drop. And that's sort of what I talk about. Um, I have a book coming out, actually, another book called The Diabetes Code, which is sort of the follow-on to the obesity code, which explains sort of what type 2 diabetes is and how that lowering insulin is really the key to treating the diabetes rather than taking a bunch of medications 
that are just going to make things worse. Right. And so the ketogenic diet and, and fasting are sort of related in that way and you see that where one does well, the other uh, also does well. Verta House is very interesting because they came out with that data in type 2 diabetes uh, showing that a ketogenic diet could do very well for type 2 diabetes. But interestingly, they don't endorse uh, fasting at all. They actually hate the stuff. Yeah, they I'm actually curious. Yeah, so. I, like, I, I, yeah, let's tease into that. I mean, I think, I think what you said, you know, aligns with my understanding of the space and research in the space that there are different forms of lowering or approaching the hyperinsulinemia problem. Can you talk about the pros and cons, and also your clinical experience with IF and you know a low carb or ketogenic diet? You know. How do you actually see this in practice versus being more on the dogmatic side of like one versus the other? Do you see, I mean, I think what you just said, it sounds like they're more hand in hand, both tools to be utilized. Yeah. Um, do you think there's a conflict there? Do you use them together? What have you seen in your practice? I use them, I use them together and that this is the way we approach it is that it's a, it's a toolbox so that if one person really hates fasting then it's like okay well then don't do it because you hate it and you're never going to do it so therefore use more on the diet side but then you got to be a little bit stricter on the diet maybe go more sort of ketogenic which is sort of less than 20 grams of carbs as opposed to say just low carb which is maybe 50 even 100 grams of carbohydrates Uh, because if you combine a low carb approach with fasting then you sort of get the same idea if you don't like the fasting then you go to ketogenic diets and that's sort of the uh, clinical approach because everybody's different so we work with people individually we have a program called the intensive dietary management program so you can get counseling you can get or you can just join the membership and sort of get sort of updates regularly and the point is that there isn't a one-size-fits-all it's not like everybody should be doing the same thing because we're all individuals so maybe you need this and maybe you need that but there's always going to be workarounds that we can get you to the place that you want to go and if if you can't do the fasting maybe it's because you don't have the proper support maybe you don't have something that helps you through with the hunger and all that sort of stuff Um, and that's what we're working on developing as well Uh, you know getting something to to, to help people with it because what in medicine the thing is that it's strange because we know that weight loss is difficult and if you don't eat, you're going to lose weight. Well, there's not much uh, brain power involved in understanding that. So if you don't eat, you'll lose weight, then, well, that's great. That's one way of losing weight. That's not particularly unhealthy for you. The, 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 the pushback that we always get is that, oh, well, nobody's ever going to be able to do it. It's like, one, that's not true because we've done, we've done it with done thousands it. of yeah. people, right? And yeah. you have in your group, you said yeah. 20,000 people. Yeah. So uh, there you go, 20,000 people. But you also know that billions and billions of people around the world do it as part of their uh, religion. So if you do Ramadan, if you do fasting during Lent, if you do Yom Kippur. Uh, you know, yeah. Lo- yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. There's so yeah. many different uh, fasting regimens, Buddhism, Hinduism, all this stuff. So literally billions of people around the world do it. But yet the pushback is always, well, you'll never do it. But in medicine, if we say something's really hard, but you need to do it, you don't say, oh, well, forget about it. Like, a, you know, for chemotherapy, chemotherapy for cancer. Chemotherapy sucks, right? Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. like, yeah, it sucks. So you're just going to die. Okay. That's not the, <laughs> that's no way to be a doctor. Right. It's like, okay, here's something hard. 
but you need to do it. So we're going to help you. We're going to create these medicines that are going to help with the pain. We're going to create these nausea medications. We're going to put you in a hospital if you need to, to get through the chemotherapy. That's what we do. We say, how can we help? Yet with fasting, we say, well, you know, yeah, fasting will take away your type 2 diabetes, but you'll never do it. So forget it. Just take your insulin shot. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's the way to be a doctor. Yeah. It's hard. So let me help you. How can we help you? Can we create support groups like what you've done with your WeFast groups? Can we create, you know, uh, tea and stuff that may help with uh, with the fasting? Can we do other things like give people information, give them books so that they understand sort of what they're getting into, sort of what to expect when fasting sort of thing? I mean, we have this book that's been on the bestseller list for like 50 years, What to Expect When Expecting, because again, we know pregnancy is hard. So yeah. let's tell you what's coming up so that you can prepare for it. We don't have a what to expect when fasting, which is what, you know, the reason I had to write that book, The Complete Guide to Fasting. Yeah, no, let's talk about like those three aspects. I mean, let's talk about The Complete Guide to Fasting and then the new book. I'm actually curious to hear, I, I think to me, the obesity code, uh, one of the core arguments was that sort of the calories and calories are out argument in terms of weight management was outdated. And, you know, we should think about you know, obesity as a hormone or insulin uh, problem. So curious to see how diabetes code uh, expands upon that. Two, you mentioned teas or other interventions assisted with fasting. I know you recently announced a partnership with Peak Tea, so let's talk about that in a second. And then third, I'm actually curious to just zoom out and just for folks that are just getting into fasting or just learning about it, we talked about you know individual personalized programs, but if you could just sort of summarize, again, this is to say that, you know, basically you said if everyone's individualized, but I'm going to just say, if you were to say, hey, what is like a protocol typically look like? Uh, can we first talk, start with uh, a typical protocol and then go into the, the book and, 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 and other topics? Yeah, so the, the protocols, we use a couple of different sort of core protocols. So for older people, obviously, we're going to go more towards a shorter fast. So you might do something like time-restricted eating. So a 16-8 sort of a protocol. So Daily 16-8, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. this is for like, we're talking like 75, 80-year-olds, right? We're okay. not talking like a little older, like 45, like me, right? <laughs> um, okay. You just got to be a bit more careful. These these people are a bit more frail. I mean, we treat very serious disease and we treat a lot of older people because that's my core um, sort of uh, population group that I see. Uh, so for older people, yes, 70 years old, above, we'll, we're going to be a lot more cautious for you. Uh, if you're on a lot of medications, again, we're going to be a lot more cautious for you. And then uh, we're going to make sure that you have a, a physician that is going to adjust your medications uh, ahead of time so that you're not getting into problems. If you're not on medications, then you don't have to be quite as careful about that. The uh, As you get sort of up, the next step would be sort of like a 24-hour hour protocol, which is also sometimes called one meal a day. So if you go from, say, breakfast to breakfast or lunch to lunch or dinner to dinner, that's about 24 hours where you're not eating. Yeah. And that's a pretty good uh, regimen. Again, not particularly severe, but enough to kind of get people uh, into it and also create some good weight loss, which can be sustained fairly easily. So it's especially good. And this is what I do a lot of myself is a 24-hour fast because honestly, it, it, it slides right into your working day. So I'm – I'm 44, for turning 45, I have kids. So it's really easy for me to skip breakfast and lunch because nobody knows if you miss breakfast. A lot of people just drink coffee anyway. Right. And half the time, 
nobody knows if you've missed lunch either. And I work right through. So that gives me a lot of extra time. And I'll say that I typically do more fasting when I'm really busy because then I gain time. So today I'm fasting because I had to take some time and do this podcast. So <laughs> it's great because it's yeah. like, yeah, now I can fit it in. It's no big deal for me. It doesn't really matter to me because I know that my body will provide the energy that it needs. But yeah. then I get an extra hour and I can I can fit in all this extra stuff. You multiply that by weeks and years and it's like, oh, you get all this extra stuff done. It's like, yeah, because I'm not spending all day figuring out where to eat. Yeah. So the 24-hour um, schedule fits in very nicely into the working day. And then that leaves you your evening to have dinner with your family and to go out to dinner with your friends. And uh, it doesn't disrupt you in any big way. And you're not doing it every single day. I'm not doing it every single day. But three times a week, maybe twice a week, depending on what your goals are. And, right. and that's one of our core sort of messages in the IDM program is that you got to realize that the fasting is not particularly fun. Some people like it. But if your goal is to uh, lose weight, then change your regimen so you do that. If it's type 2 diabetes, which is a more severe condition that can have health consequences, then you got you to gotta be a bit more severe. I mean, I remember I was doing it uh, fairly religiously for a little while, and then I realized, you know, I'm doing it not for any particularly good reason, as in my weight was around where I've always been. My waist size was fairly ideal. I don't have type 2 diabetes and stuff, so I was doing it just for the heck of doing it because I was talking about it. So then I was like, I don't really need to do it that often. And now it's more of a time management tool for me uh, than anything else. But that's my goal now. So if my goal is to be able to write my books and to do those podcasts and do the blogs and stuff, that's as good a reason as any. Yeah. Then I'm going to do more than that. But the, I, I know where my goal is. It's, it's not simply just... Uh, a matter of this and some people have these different goals so autophagy which we sometimes i don't know if we talked about before but their goal is autophagy so yeah you're not gonna you're gonna do it different you're gonna get more into the long slightly longer fast and you're gonna do a water only fast that bone broth is you're not gonna do it like you gotta stick to the water only so if your goal is to have for autophagy and the benefits could be huge but they're mostly theoretical right now um then keep that that in mind when you're choosing your regimen and then as we go into type 2 diabetes, we typically go into the longer ones and the more medically supervised ones. So 36 hours is sort of a standard regimen three times a week. If they're on medications, particularly insulin, we have to adjust that before they go on. And then for severe diabetes, and this is where this you have to be very careful as we start going into sort of extended fast. Where, uh, and the reason we do this is that we see a lot of people with severe diabetes and are on the verge of developing end organ damage, that is eye damage, kidney damage, uh, nerve damage, and so on. If you don't get that controlled right away, once they develop it, you can't reverse it. It's like the oil in your car. If you never change the oil in your car and then it breaks down, then you say, okay, now I'm gonna change the oil in my car. Too late. It doesn't work. Yeah. Same thing, if, if you've shot your kidneys out, uh, it's too late. I can get your, uh, kidney, I can get your diabetes reversed, but the I kidney's can't gone. You're like your 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 arm is your leg is chopped off, right? Like exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So for those people, we'll go into longer fast. But again, we know why we're doing it. We've got it uh, a goal in mind to reverse their diabetes very quickly, so that they will have the best chance possible of reversing uh, their disease. And type two diabetes is really the sort of uh, one of the areas that I'm 
really focused on because it causes so much disease. That is, it's not simply a weight thing. It's it's dialysis, it's blindness, it's amputations, it's heart attacks, it's strokes, it's cancer. It's a lot of human suffering, all related to diabetes. And as right. a physician, that's sort of my goal area. But I acknowledge that there's tons of other areas. So if people come to me for cancer, for example, I'll switch the regimen. There, there are people who want to do uh, training, like uh, sort of elite athletes, and I'll, I'll, I'll adjust the regimen based on that. Yeah. And are there endpoints beyond just the time? Are you measuring glucose, ketones? Are you doing blood panels for lipids, inflammation markers? Or We often check the baseline blood test for everybody, and that's uh, more of a sort of cover your ass sort of um, move yeah. uh, because you don't want to get blamed afterwards. Right. So I will check a, a fairly uh, detailed panel in everybody, although I rarely find any problems. The one problem I do find sometimes in type 2 diabetes is a low vitamin B12 level because mm. metformin, which is a very common medication, can actually right. cause B12 deficiency. So the last thing I want to do is find out after they've been fasting that their B12 is low and somebody say, hey, that's because they're not eating. I'm like, no, I pick them up like all the time. So I pick yeah. them up way before and I always check the iron, for example, because I don't want somebody to come back to me and say, oh, they've been fasting and now they're iron deficient okay. because I picked it way up. I've picked that iron deficiency up at the beginning and, and then everything. Kind of How often are you doing these checkpoints, sort of before and after a program or are you doing like you know, weekly or daily checks? Um, yeah, again, it depends on the situation. Okay. So, if you're, so I guess if you're more if you're more serious, then more more yeah more okay exactly. Makes so uh, for type two diabetes, for example, there's a fairly standard uh, marker called the A1C, which is a three month average. So yeah. I'll often do blood work every three months to to check up on that. If it's just weight loss and not diabetes, there's no reason to do it more than once or twice a year, yeah. sort of assuming that everything is going well. If it's yeah. not going well, of course, then you have to adjust and uh, kind of go from there. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting segue into just adjustments, right? So I think a lot of people in our groups always ask, oh, should I drink, you know, one of the recommendations, bone broth, MCT oils, coconut oils, green tea, coffee. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think I, I think your point around bone broth perhaps not being ideal for triggering autophagy because, as you know, there's amino acids and amino acid triggers mTOR, which is what is hypothesized to control or mediate autophagy. You probably don't want bone broth for an autophagy crutch uh, yeah, exactly but for like uh diabetes it'd be perfectly acceptable yeah. because that little bit of amino acid is not gonna do anything to you it's yeah. not gonna it's gonna have so little effect and same for a lot of people ask about um bulletproof coffee and mct oils again so you've got calories but you've got very little insulin effect so again if your if your point is to try and lower insulin effect for weight loss for diabetes hey that's great then you are going to be able to take the bulletproof coffee or mct oil and still get like the lowering of insulin that you want so keeping your goals in mind you'd say okay well that'd be perfectly fine for type 2 diabetes bone broth and typically we'll use bone broth for more longer fast 36 right. hours plus something like the bulletproof coffee is sort of acceptable from from an insulin standpoint but but again it's it's, it's sort of understanding what your goal is right. green tea is a very interesting substance and i've been talking a bit more about that uh lately and so just to get into that topic, it's, it's one of the things that has traditionally, if you look at traditional Chinese medicine, is actually one of the substances that has been always purportedly helpful for weight loss. And if you look at the studies, what's interesting is a couple of things. One is that green tea, uh, when you give it as in a study, 
typically has much higher levels of the catechins. So the catechins are the antioxidants and the flavonols, the compound that's thought to be responsible for the benefits, but they're at much higher doses. They're like 10 cups a day sort of right. um, level, which most people don't uh, get to. But that's what the studies are at. And it shows that you can lose about an extra kilogram of weight with that. What the catechins do is they block an enzyme called COMT. And COMT is responsible for breaking down noradrenaline. So if you block the COMT, noradrenaline goes up. So what happens is that you get this activation of the sympathetic nervous system, and your energy expenditure can go up by about 4%. So not a huge increase, but significant. So essentially, when you're losing weight, a lot of the problems come when your, your metabolic rate is going down. So if you can take the green tea catechins and increase your metabolic rate, that's huge. The other thing that they showed in this study from just like 2016 as a randomized control trial is that you can, when you compare it to placebo, you get a reduction in ghrelin. So ghrelin is the mm. hunger hormone. And if you lower ghrelin, you have less hunger, which is exactly what people tell The green tea catechins. Interesting. The green tea catechins. Huh. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very interesting. So it's like, that's great because that's the main problem with weight loss is that you have too much hunger and your metabolic rate is slowing. That's why people fail with weight loss. Now you have an all-natural substance that people have been using for thousands of years that increases your metabolic rate and lowers your hunger. And that's what people tell us all the time. They drink green tea and then their hunger sort of goes away. And it's like, that's fantastic. But you have to get to, 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 to be up on the studies. Oh, the other interesting thing is that well, Asians I'm, I'm have different. I was going to ask, caffeine's also known to be an appetite suppressant. So were they, con were, were, were they controlling for that? Or, is it, uh, or was it an additive effect? Okay. Yeah, it's an additive effect. In okay. fact, when you compare catechins and caffeine or caffeine alone, you get better effect with the catechins plus caffeine. So it seems like that they actually have a better effect. So what caffeine does is it blocks this other enzyme called phosphodiesterase, which also raises the noradrenaline. So they actually work through different pathways. And of course, normal green tea has both catechins and caffeine. You can decaffeinate it, but I don't, don't recommend them. it because yeah. if you want the benefit, you've got to have both of them to get you know, twice the benefit. So uh, it's just saying it's interesting because in some of the studies they show that Asians actually get a better weight loss effect than Caucasians huh. because yeah, so you get an average weight loss of 1.5 kilos for Asians versus 0.8 kilos for Caucasians and the reason is that Asians have a higher incidence of this high activity COMT so that's the enzyme that's being blocked by green tea so if you're Asian and you have a lot of activity of the COMT blocking it is going to give you a better effect so it's like okay that's really fascinating but nevertheless 0.8 kilos is still a pretty good effect even for Caucasians but it yeah. may even be better for Asians which is huge because you look at the obesity epidemic in like China and and stuff it's like massive like the because the numbers are huge over there right but in any case it's 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 like wow that's fascinating so but the problem was uh, so i i recommend this in for people but then uh the problem is that the dose of catechins you have to have is very high you have to have up to like 10 cups a day which isn't feasible for most people and that's where we worked with peak tea so what's interesting about peak tea first their tea is really great i love the stuff what they do is different it's an organic green tea and they get it from a single plantation, but they do this cold brew crystallization where they actually steep it. So you could probably do it yourself. You take green tea and you put water. So like cold brew coffee, you can make it yourself. Yeah. You put it overnight in the fridge and you let it sit for like eight hours. And then because you're extracting the catechins at low temperature, 
uh, you get more of it out. So you get like two, three the, uh, times the amount so of the, these. Like the steeping process doesn't break, it breaks down some of these complex molecules. Where if you're cold no. brewing it, Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. The hot brew will 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 not get as much because you don't have the time in contact with it. So just like cold brew coffee, uh, you go to Starbucks, you pay like twice the price for this cold brew because it's actually hard to make. This is right. the same thing. But what they've done is they cold brew it and then they sort of dehydrate it. So it's basically crystals of concentrated tea. That's all it is. It's a whole food. It's not like um, what they do in the studies, which is kind of industrially extract the catechins and then add it to the tea this is sort of a just concentrated cold brew tea that's all it is uh but it's in a single serve packet and then you mix it up and you drink it and it's terrific and it's a little bit more obviously than just like a cold brew coffee it's a little bit more but if you want to get that benefit so that then what we did with the, is we've created a, a sort of blend uh, for fasting specifically so we've uh, made two sort of um, uh, flavors one is with matcha which gives it a bit more body and helps with the sort of uh, appetite suppression, the hunger. And then we did this ginger citrus because some people have this kind of gurgling stomach and mm. issues with that. And we found that ginger and also citrus is, is helpful for that. You know, personally, I drink green tea plain, so I don't like the flavors myself, but those, those are supposed to help. Like that's what a lot of our patients sort of tell us. Right. So that's what we've done and created a line sort of specifically for tea, which is not something that's really been readily available because, uh, you know, we have, we have people to help with all kinds of stuff. But then when you're fasting, it's like, oh yeah, you're like out of luck. Like just do it, man. Just man up. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> you don't do that for anybody else. We, we create stuff to help them. So right. because nothing was available... We created this. I mean, bulletproof coffee is sort of this a, a, a similar idea, but it's 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 different. I mean, that's people use as a sort of fasting aid as well. Right. Um, they don't always say that, but that's essentially what they're doing. It's they're basically what they're doing. But I think the thing basically. I think kind of funny with bulletproof coffee is that you're eating like 500 calories of fat. So it's just like you you're, you're getting a lot of calories. But I think the thing is like you see some people on a ketogenic diet just like. At a certain point, it's still like you're eating a lot of calories, and you're just hard to lose yeah. weight if we're just eating like three thousand calories of butter. So I like I like the I like the tea because again, it's like very caloric. If there's not any calories, probably close to close to nominal. Close to and uh, sounds like there's like a what a three four x amount of catechin. So instead of having to drink ten cups, you can drink two cups. Yeah, two three cups, and you're good. And and it's still a it's still a whole food. It's really just cold brew tea. Yeah, it may help you with the fasting. Then you get all the benefits, and it makes it a little bit easier for you. And that's the whole point: is to really try to make something that will help people. Like obviously, if it doesn't help you, then don't take it. Right? right. That there's no point. Yeah. But if it helps you, then hey, you're going to get a lot of benefit from the fasting. Right. And if the tea helps you fasting, hey, great. That's that's terrific. So P I Q U E T. So. Folks are interested. I've had it before. I remember seeing some of their product, I think, out in San Francisco. So, yeah, it's good tea. Uh, give it a spin for our listeners out there. I think with the interest of, like, adjuncts to fasting, I mean, I think one thing that we saw that's interesting from a ketone ester perspective, one of our products was a, pu- a paper published kind of actually near your backyard, UBC, University yeah. of British Columbia, showing that acute use of ketone ester actually reduces a glycemic response. So what that means is that a ketone ester versus placebo before a sugar test or oral glucose tolerance test, which is kind of a standard test to test for insulin resistance or sensitivity, reduce the glycemic response. I'm curious to uh, get your thoughts on that if you've had a chance to review the paper. Yeah, and, yeah, and, absolutely. And your thoughts on exogenous ketones broadly. 
I think exogenous ketones have a role to play. And this is this kind of goes along with the sort of fasting aids and sort of thing because it, it's not quite a whole food, obviously. But again, right. it's something that may help along the way. So there's a couple of things. One is that the sort of properties of ketones have not been well appreciated for a long time. I don't think anybody really looks at it ever. So, but lately, with uh, sort of this interest in the ketogenic diet, you're getting these really, really interesting uh, things popping up. Like, oh, hey, you can treat seizures with it. Oh, hey, you can uh, enhance athletic performance with it. Oh, hey, you can if you're if you get fat adapted. Hey, endurance athletics may be particularly beneficial if you're bo- running your body off of ketones. And the point is. Uh, that if you take a ketone supplement, you can get your ketone levels much higher, much faster. So the fastest natural way to do it is fasting. But if you take a, a ketone ester, you're going to get way higher, uh, yeah. you know, like right away almost. So is there some benefit to that? And increasingly, a lot of evidence says, yes, there could be some potential benefits uh, to it because uh, some cells perhaps run a lot better. And of course, the brain is one of these areas that has been studied a lot. And I think it's uh, a lot of um, doctors are sort of, um, they stick to the you know prescribed script sort of thing. And it's very interesting because the ketogenic diet was originally described like hundreds, of, like a hundred years ago as a treatment for seizures. Right. And then it got lost with the development of medications. And it took not a doctor... But a film producer or, you know, this is the story of the Charlie Foundation. So the son of um, a famous Hollywood producer had intractable seizures. Nothing worked. None of the meds worked. He had all the best, you know, doctors. And it took him researching the archives to find that this ketogenic diet would reduce seizures. So he tried on his son and boom, like all his seizures went away. And it's like, okay, that's a great story. Why were the doctors not the ones to do this? Because they knew about it 100 years ago, and then they totally forgot about it. And it's like, it takes a, a Hollywood producer to tell you how to do your job? Like, are you kidding me? And I always think that it's very instructive because a lot of these things get met with skepticism by the sort of um, doctors, the sort of mainstream medicine professionals but it's like when it works it works then your job is to understand why it works and ketones falls into that range where maybe there's some benefits to doing it but if it works don't just say oh that's quackery because that's what everybody says oh i mean i got my fair share of that oh fasting that's just quackery now it's like oh you know yeah of course it works yeah (laughs) Yeah. they're like of course it works you're not eating so your blood sugars will go down it's like that's not what you said four years ago five years ago you said that'll never work you're a quack. I'm like, but if you don't eat, you'll lose weight. They're like, no, you won't. I'm like, <laughs> are you not going to lose weight? Yeah. But uh, this is the same thing with ketones. So that we see in that study, what you see is that there's a benefit to the ketones in terms of reducing the blood glucose. And of course, this is one of the areas that I'm very uh, sort of uh, passionate about, which is type 2 diabetes. And hey, is there a benefit there? It's like, so it's very preliminary, obviously, but maybe you can use it as an adjunct in some way. Maybe you can use it in conjunction with the ketogenic diet or conjunction with fasting or some of these dietary mechanisms or even with your regular medications and maybe you can lower the blood glucose and is there a benefit? So maybe the answer is yes. We don't know. All we can say is that it's it's worthwhile studying. The other thing that I think is very interesting about exogenous ketones in type 2 diabetics anyway 
is that you can measure this ketone to um, uh, glucose index. So as your blood glucose falls, your ketones should rise because your body is essentially switching over from burning glucose to burning ketones and burning fat. Well, this doesn't always happen in type 2 diabetics. So if your glucose falls, <laughs> your ketones don't rise. Then you feel so like shit. Got, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you got no glucose, you got no ketones, you're, you're just feeling like crap. Yeah. Now, if you stick it out long enough, your body will eventually produce ketones uh, because it's not going to die. But in the meantime, it's not as easy as it could be. And we, we, we've studied this. We know that this sort of uh, glucose ketone index exists and that there are different slopes for different people. So normal people, glucose down, ketones up. Type 2 diabetics, a lot of them, glucose down, ketones not up. So what do you do? Well, that's where exogenous ketones could have a benefit. Maybe if you define the proper place to use it, you could say, okay, well, we'll give them ketones until they get into that ketotic state themselves and then, and then they're going to derive endogenously produce it yep exactly yeah. because yeah. they can't endogenously produce it because right. it's great if you do endogenous ketones that's the whole point but what if you can't then exogenous ketones is a great solution so maybe and, and again more research is going to have to be done to sort of define the best sort of solution to this uh thing but here's uh, here's something that would be very, very interesting to to look at and potentially consider. Uh, and you could definitely mix it up. So if you're trying to get into that ketotic state, but you're falling into this low energy state where you have no glucose, no ketones, you can bridge it with exogenous ketones until that fasting kind of kicks in and you produce endogenous ketones. And it's like, hey, that'd be a great solution. Uh, then you can get into there. Then you can start uh, start getting better from the diabetes and stuff. So, yeah. yeah, so many possibilities here, um, and I think that that paper was just a you know a great first step. First step saying, hey, yeah, yeah, no, I a- agree. I agree. I mean, we gotta send you a couple cases so you can you know start experimenting. If there's a way to publish some of the results, I mean, I think that's just how progress is done. Yeah, no, appreciate your perspective there as you know someone who's looked at it clinically across uh, you know all types of interventions. So the last topic I want to talk about was diabetes code. So Obesity Code, awesome book. It was one of the key books that I had read to get really ramped up into this space. Well, you know, what are the new grounds that you're planning to cover? So that book comes out in April, right? So in about a month. In April, yes, in about a month. So the Diabetes Code is very specific towards type 2 diabetes. And it's... Um, it's important for a lot of people because if you look at the population of the United States, uh, the adult population, it's about 14 to 15% type 2 diabetes and about 38% pre-diabetic. So yeah. almost actually a little bit over 50% pre-diabetic or diabetic. So it actually affects a huge number. Of 100 million plus people. Yeah, it's one of these like numbers yeah. that people like are, don't understand. It's It's crazy. And one of the things, the the main thing that we talk about is that this is a reversible disease. So everybody tries to convince you that it's a chronic and progressive disease, that you got it, you're going to have it for the rest of your life. But it's actually not true. You can actually reverse it. And we see that with studies of, say, bariatric surgery where they do weight loss surgery. When you lose the weight, the diabetes just goes away. And what I do in the book is really present um, a sort of paradigm of diabetes, of thinking about type 2 diabetes. And the, the easy way to think about type 2 diabetes is like it's, it's like think of your body as a sugar bowl. Your body actually just has too much sugar. That's the whole disease. 
If you have too much sugar, your bowl is full, and then when you eat, all that sugar spills out into the blood. So insulin, which is the sort of a standard medication for type 2 diabetes, does not get rid of that sugar. What it does is it takes the sugar that's in the blood and rams it back into your body. It's like, oh, okay, well, your body takes it because it's forced to, but then it's just getting more and more stuffed with sugar. So then eventually, that insulin that you're using is not enough to cram the sugar into the and body you need anymore. more and more insulin. That's what you do. So what we've done is <laughs> yeah. give more and more insulin. And then because the medical treatment doesn't work, because you never treated the underlying cause, we say it's chronic and progressive. And why do we doctors say it's chronic and progressive? It's actually because doctors simply cannot admit to themselves that their treatment is so spectacularly wrong. Because think about it this way, you're an endocrinologist, you spent sort of 20 years in the field treating type 2 diabetes, and under your watch, like 98% of type 2 diabetics have gotten worse. You know they're getting worse because you're increasing the medication. So you can either say, say one, this is a reversible disease, therefore, so if you put two facts together, one, it's a reversible disease. We know it for a fact, because when people lose weight, the diabetes goes away. Two, almost all my patients are getting worse. The only conclusion you can draw from that fact is that you're a bad doctor. Yep. You don't know what the hell you're doing right. because it's reversible, but your patients are getting worse. You're, you're not doing a good job. As a doctor, you can't face that. You can't face that. You have no idea what the hell you're doing. Right. So then, therefore, you have to change the fact that it's not reversible. It's chronic and progressive, and I'm doing the best that I can. It's like aging. You might want to get young, but there's no way. You always get older. Type 2 diabetes, you say it's the same thing, but it's not true. And that's the problem. Is it's not true, and it's a reversible disease, and it comes down to this. What we did was we took a disease that's essentially a dietary disease, and we gave a lot of drugs. And then we wonder, why isn't your diabetes getting better? Because we're giving you drugs to treat the blood glucose, but here's the thing. We're giving all these – we're so focused on treating the blood glucose that we forgot to treat the diabetes. You give insulin, are they going to lose weight? No. The answer is they're going to gain weight. So how is that going to make their diabetes better? It's not. It's going to make it worse. It's a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid yeah. because you've put a Band-Aid over a bullet hole. Right. Then you can't see it and you pretend that you're better. Right. So these drugs are essentially placebos for doctors. They make the doctor feel good about himself. <laughs> They don't do anything for the patients, and that's the problem. But it's such a simple thing. You got if it's a dietary problem, you got to use your diet to fix it. And here we have a solution, intermittent fasting or extended fasting, where it's completely free. It's available to everybody, like tomorrow, and anybody in the world can do it at any time. Right. And you're going to save money. You're going to you're going to make your diabetes better. And think about it: if you don't eat, your blood sugars will drop. Well, hey, if your blood sugars drop, don't you don't need that insulin anymore? Yep. But what you're doing, of course, if you think about that sugar bowl, is you're letting your body burn down all that sugar in the sugar bowl. Now, when the sugar comes in, it just doesn't spill out anymore. But it's a hundred percent natural solution. Is it fun? No, it's not fun. We beg. We you know, yeah. we beg people to do it. We club them over their way. You know, we threaten them. We yell at them. We do what it needs to do. But in the end, what we're doing is we're trying to take um, advantage of the body's sort of own ability to heal itself instead of giving pills. Right. And that's where it's really powerful. And that's where we created this sort of intensive dietary management program, 
the website is idmprogram.com where you can get somebody to help you with your fasting. We right. put them in group situations where you can get support. We do uh, have this membership site which you can join for a, a lower monthly fee, which is not personalized, but you can get things like group fast, which is just like what you do with the We Fast, which is where you have somebody and we'll say, okay, everybody, we're going to fast these days. Yeah. You know, who's in sort of thing. And we'll have, you know, tips on fasting and recipes for when you're not fasting, all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's all dietary stuff. We're not trying to give people medications. We're trying to take that medications away. So it's here, here we're, we're like, you know, we, we can save all, people all this money. Like even if you don't care about your health, if you don't have to buy that insulin, you're going to save a lot of money. Yeah. And to insurance companies, hey, your patients are going to get better and you're not going to have to spend all that money on health. Everybody wins. Except for the insulin producers. <laughs> yeah, Which, we won't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I agree 100% with you. I mean, I think just seeing uh, the stories in WeFast and just people literally getting off of insulin through fasting and diet, it's like, and you know, you, you know, Dr. Manny Lamb that, you know, we work closely with, I know that, you know, yeah. works with you as well. I mean, you know, he's taking people through fasting and diet protocols and taking people off their metformin and insulin it's just like okay like they, something is working here and the way i think about it is that like you talk about it being hard it's like oh well, exercise is hard too right like if you've never worked out in your life it sucks but like we all know it's helpful for us to do some workouts and i think the same thing will will will, will change with culture with fasting yeah like the first time you fast is gonna suck because it's like working out your uh your liver and you know, you know whatever it's working out your body to go into a fasted state but you get used to it, and it's and it's but, healthy long term. Yeah, it's it's what you need to do to get better, and that's what I always say. Like I get this pushback a lot from uh, people that are like, "Yeah, we understand why it's good, but people will never do it." And I'm like, "I'm a doctor. My job is not to tell you what you can and cannot do. My job is to tell you what you need to do to get healthy. And if fasting is what you need to get healthy, then I will do whatever I can to support you through it. Yeah. And we'll create the fasting tea, and we'll create the IDM program to help you, and we'll create these support groups like WeFast. We'll create these ketones that maybe help you get through the, the, the tough areas. Yeah. But that's the point is like we're helping you. We're, not, we're on the same team here. We're not trying uh, – you know, we're not at cross purposes. Right. We'll help you do what we can. We'll do what we can and you do what you can and maybe together we can get you healthy. I'm not going to tell you you can't fast because I don't think you have the willpower. That's like a, such a defeatist attitude. It's terrible and, yeah. and, and you see it all the time. And, and again, it's just like your group. It's like when you tell people that it's great, hey, all of a sudden you get uh, you know 20,000 people. When, when you start showing it on online, uh, I was talking to Sumaya yesterday, and it's yeah. like all of a sudden you're on the Today Show, and people are like, wow, this is really interesting. It's like, well, these are not new ideas. Yeah. These are ideas that have come <laughs> sort of from the mists of time. Yeah. People have been doing this for thousands of years. The three most influential people in the history of the world, the Prophet Muhammad, uh, Jesus Christ, and Buddha, all told their parishioners to fast, not because they wanted to kill them, because they knew that there was sort of something intrinsically healthy about once in a while letting your body clean itself out of all this ex extra junk that's accumulating. Yeah. And, and that goes for not just the glucose, but also the excess protein that's accumulating. And that's what autophagy is. You're breaking down these sort of subcellular uh, components, this old junky protein, and trying to replace it with something newer and better. Can it prevent cancer? Potentially. I mean, you know that the World Health Organization now labels 40% of cancers as obesity-related. Hmm. 
It's like here we pre- pretend that cancer is a genetic disease, but it's like it can't be genetic because obesity accounts for 40% of the cancer. So breast cancer, for example, is very highly related to um, obesity. So therefore, it's not genetic. It's related to the obesity. Like Treat the, the Warburg theory of cancer. Yeah, the Warburg theory. Is, yeah. I mean, there's so much interesting things about that, uh, you know, this whole thing. And we think about uh, cancer in this way, but say um, you turn down and this gets into these sort of nutrient sensors, which is a, another sort of fascinating topic because mTOR, uh, all these pathways. mTOR, AMPK, and uh, insulin. So there's, there's uh, your body actually is very, very interested in knowing if you have access to food. Because if you don't have access to food, your body does not want to grow. So nutrient sensors and growth pathways are very, very tightly linked. And you see this in the ovary as well. So you, you, for polycystic ovary syndrome, for example, you can treat it very easily by lowering insulin. But the ovary has insulin receptors. Why? Because the ovary wants to know that there is lots of nutrients available before it ovulates produces an egg that can potentially become a fetus and a baby, you do not want to be in the middle of a famine and producing eggs that can become a baby. You're going to kill the mother, which is going to kill the baby because you have to divert resources into growing this fetus. So the ovary is very interested in knowing if there's available nutrients. So one of the things that the body has is several nutrient sensors. So there's insulin. So when you eat, insulin goes up. So that's a nutrient sensor. mTOR is the one for protein. And there's one called AMPK, which is sort of this fuel gauge of the body. So it's a reverse fuel gauge. So when it's high, it means your energy stores, cellular energy stores are low. So it's a fuel gauge, but it's reverse. If your AMPK is low, it means your energy stores are high. And this is why a lot of people take metformin, because it, it activates AMPK. And so it tells your body that it's in a low energy state, which is actually healthful for you which actually may help prevent cancer. So there's a few studies that say, well, metformin can help protect against cancer. And it's like, why? Because it lowers AMPK. And it's a very interesting sort of uh, idea because, again, if you turn down, if the body is not sensing any nutrients, it is going to turn down the growth pathways. And the things that are growing the fastest are those cancer cells, but also for things like uh, polycystic kidney disease. I had this lady once who has very interesting, had a hemangioma. And what those are, Hemangiomas are these um, little benign tumors of the kidney anyway. They're blood vessels, and they bleed a lot. So she actually had to get one whole kidney sort of resected Mm. uh, because it was bleeding so much. She would have bled out. And they had to embolize uh, two other uh, hemangiomas, which means they they clawed it off. and burning it. it Yeah, it's like burning it. So anyway, a few years ago, she decided that she's going to do intermittent fasting instead. So what's fascinating is that if you um, do this fasting, she's had her ultrasound measured a few times, and on each one they say, well, it looks like the hemangioma is getting smaller, but we know that never happened, so it might just be a fluke. Right. <laughs> yeah, she's had like four that have shown that it's, it's shrinking in size. Wow. Like, fantastic, because we understand what's happening. You're eating zero, so you're turning down all your nutrient sensors. You're turning down your insulin, you're turning down your mTOR, and you're raising your AMPK. Ketogenic diets are not going to do that. They're only going to turn down your insulin, but they're not going to affect AMPK, and they're not going to affect mTOR. 
Therefore, fasting is a much more powerful way to turn down your nutrient sensors. The body senses there's no nutrients, turns down the growth pathways, which affects the hemangioma much more than affects other cells. Yeah. So then all of a sudden you get this shrinking of this, it's a benign tumor, but this hemangioma, this benign tumor, and all of a sudden she hasn't bled for uh, you know the last uh, year and a half. It's, it's fantastic. And it's like, wow, the power of that is simply amazing because yeah. it's free. And it's available, and hey, you might lose some pounds, and you might reverse your diabetes on the same breath, and you may prevent the Alzheimer's disease. So again, Alzheimer's disease is this clogging up of your brain with all this excess amyloid, protein. Amyloid tau. protein, exactly. Yeah. So what if you could activate your body to break down all this protein? Intermittent fasting. It's like, whoa, this is amazing. Right. mTOR goes down. All of a sudden, you stimulate autophagy. And you're breaking down protein. I mean, one of the interesting theories around that as well is that something that we're looking at is that, you know, perhaps Alzheimer's has a nickname of type 3 diabetes. It's a glucose uptake dysfunction in neurons. If you can feed it through ketones, can you rescue some function and help clear out some of the tau and amyloid, which is related to you know, some of the similar pathways yeah. you're talking about. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think, but I think, you know, mTOR, AMPK, insulin are some of like the most targeted targets for drug and foods. So I think it is very cool that we can activate them in the right ways, in the right levers with fasting. I mean, yeah, in Silicon Valley, people are looking at metformin, rapamycin, which is yeah. uh, you know, a target for mTOR as, you know, potentially longevity hack. So, uh, I mean, like those might have, you know, additive or, or, or adjunct effects on top of fasting, but it's it's all within that related ecosystem. How do we yeah, activate it's all these in pathways that wellness for longevity? Space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How are we going to increase longevity? I think AMPK actually plays a big role in that. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting, of course, is that you can target it with metformin. You can target, but you're not going to turn down your insulin. If you eat metformin, you're going to target the AMPK. If you eat rapamycin, you're going to target your mTOR. You're not right. going to affect the other pathways. Right. So fasting actually simultaneously affects all three pathways. Right. It's like, wow, that's way more powerful and it's natural. And then you go back and say, hey, you know, let's look at these wellness practices for the last two, three thousand years. Right. What do people say? Oh, hey, you should fast once in a while. You go back to Hippocrates. You go back to Benjamin Franklin, uh, you know, Mark Twain. They're like, oh, the best of all medicine is resting and fasting. That's that, that was his quote. And it's like, whoa, people understood this thousands of years ago that, yes, if you want to be well, you should fast once in a while. And it's like, oh, they were totally right. Yeah. Like we think, oh, yeah, I'm going to – if you want to be well, I'm going to take some rapamycin and metformin. And it's like, <laughs> okay, well, I think you're going to be better off with the other guy, with uh, you know Benjamin Franklin, who is fasting yeah. because you're going to affect all of the pathways at the same time and do it naturally rather than in a sort of this artificial way because – you can you can turn down sensors and stuff. But it's hard to inhibit them long term, and it's hard to inhibit them completely. And this this sort of thing. I agree. I, yeah, I don't think it's a magic compound because like it's uh, human biology is a complex system. You're not you can't just like push one pathway, expect everything else to just like you know work magically. Yeah, I think it's like these are interesting levers, and I think intermittent fasting is one of these things that like just happens to touch a lot of them in the right way, in a way that's natural. That's just part of evolution, right? Like yeah. you're designed to go through fasting and famine cycle or, or, or feasting and fasting cycles. Um, and it's been conserved throughout, you know, C. elegans, rats, mouse. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, the data is just like that good. Is. 
the data is good because if you look at AMPK and mTOR, so insulin is actually the most recent of the nutrient sensors. mTOR goes way back and AMPK goes way back. They're conserved from, uh, you know, those nematodes, right? The right. C. elegans and the drosophilia, the fruit flies and stuff. Right. You can find them in like every form of life. It's like, wow, these things are like essential for life. And, and thousands of years ago, humans figured out a way that would actually help 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 extend their life so it's like wow this is just super super fascinating yeah. uh, as a topic from an evolutionary standpoint um you know how are we going to do it how are we going to use it to kind of hack our life right we all talk about biohacks and stuff and it's sort of like the ultimate biohack right. i mean it's natural it's free it's available we just need the knowledge and the acceptance and people can tap into all these sort of superpowers in terms of health and wellness absolutely yeah, let's build up the culture here. So a lot on your plate. So you got the the fasting tea in June. You got the book Diabetes Code in April. I mean, anything else in the pipeline? Like what, what what's what's the future? I mean, I'm sure we'll have a conversation and have you again on the podcast. Hopefully not in another two years. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, sure. what, what what's what's next as you're um, looking forward? Well, I'm working on a couple of things um, like obviously we've, we've done the books and we've also built up the IDM program to actually be a solution for people to actually get some help. So. Uh, it's a program, it's an online program, but then people can get help with their fasting, get help with their diet and so on. So um, uh, that's that's something that we're working on building up and trying to roll out so that people can benefit. Excuse me. So ex that's idmprogram.com. Then I'm working on a book on PCOS, which is polycystic ovary mm. syndrome. Yep. And the reason I'm doing that is one of um, our, our IDM uh, partners is uh, Dr. Nadia Paduano, who is very sort of passionate about this. And the reason she is is because PCOS is also a disease of hyperinsulinemia. Therefore, as a disease of hyperinsulinemia, fasting and low-carb diets work very well. But what we have is PCOS, which affects somewhere around 10% of the target sort of uh, women in the adult women. Um, and one of the big problems with PCOS is infertility. The mm. people are spending like tens of thousands of dollars, like a lot of money because they're infertile because of this PCOS. And yet it's so easy to treat. Uh, it, it's crazy that we could save that. <laughs> and, you know, I have two kids and I know it's like, it's, it's, it's incredible to have kids. Then they become a pain in the ass, but... Before that, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> but it's it's incredible to be able to give somebody that sort of gift because you know it's sort of so intrinsically human to want to have a family, to want to have a big family. If you can't have that, it's like it's like an amputation. It's like having your leg cut off. Like mm -hmm. people want to have family. People want to have kids. And to have to spend $10,000 a shot sort of for in vitro fear fertilization is ridiculous because PCOS is treatable so easy. So that's one, one of the things I'm working on. And then in the longer term, so, you know, I get asked to write a lot of stuff. But what, what I really want to write is, is about stuff that can make a difference to people and where I can bring something new to it. So something like PCOS, there's just not, not any information. So the obesity code, there's just not a lot of information. Type 2 diabetes reversal, not a lot of information. Guide to fasting, there's not a lot of information, and then uh, PCOS. And then in the longer term, um, maybe some cookbooks that will help people, and then eventually a, a book on cancer, which is, again, 
really, really fascinating from a cancer from code. <laughs> Perhaps <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot that will go into it. Right now, the PCOS is a lot easier because cancer is not simply about obesity. It's actually a lot more than that. It's a lot. It's it's about it's about a lot there's of these. A, and there's so many ideologies problems. too. I mean, it just it just it's like a bunch of micro diseases in uh, one umbrella yeah. term. Essentially, is the way I kind but, of think about it. Yeah, I think cancer is comes down to it's a it's I think it's about the mitochondrial disease. It's a it's about uh, all those nutrient sensors we talked about, but it's also um, about apoptosis and autophagy. So there's a lot of topics that get in there, um, and it it needs to be worked out a little bit better. But there's some super interesting theories. So we had this sort of genetic theory of obesity that was like crap. It was like terrible, and that's how you know cancer medicine is like the worst of the worst. Like if you look at the progress, so Nixon declared war on cancer in 1971. If you look at sort of the the, the rates of cancer now, they're about the same as 1971. It's how many billions of dollars have been spent? I know how many walks for cancer, how many right. pink ribbons. Like there is so much money going to this that has done absolutely nothing. It's like as if you, you know, with your uh, iPhone. Um, you know, in 2018, was still using those giant, you know, vacuum tube uh, yeah. room size computers. That's the equivalent. How can you make so little progress in cancer despite the billions of dollars, probably trillions and, and of good dollars efforts? Like good people want to do good yeah. work there. It's not like people are just wasting money. I think people are earnestly trying to solve this problem. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I think it started off on the wrong foot, which is yeah. that this is a genetic disease. And when you start off, it's like if you're trying to go south, but you start off by going north, it doesn't matter how fast you run. You're never going to get to where you're going. Yeah. And that's the thing. We started off looking at it as a genetic problem, and we kept going, and it was a disaster. This whole cancer genome atlas totally like tells us that we, we went in the wrong direction for 50 years. Yeah. And it's like, and, and people still want to go in that direction because they've built their careers on it. And if you don't recognize your mistake, and start going in the right direction, then you're never going to get there. And that's the real problem with cancer. But it's a much more complicated topic than simply obesity, type 2 diabetes, yeah. PCOS sort of thing. And it's not simply fasting that's, you know, fasting is going to play a role, but there's all this other stuff that goes into it. Uh, so that's the, that's the, that's maybe the long, long term. It's, uh, but it's a, it's a real interest of mine. Um, getting sort of to the bottom of what causes cancer, what cancer is, and trying to change the paradigm of thinking of what cancer is, which is not a genetic disease. Hundred percent. No, appreciate. I mean, I, I like that you're still staying ambitious and and pushing forward. I mean, I think in the last couple of years, I mean, I think we've just seen the community and the interest and the and really the scientists grow. So I'm just excited to see what you know yourself, our, our communities can continue to do to. I think really help people live better, healthier lives. So thank you for taking the time, uh, Dr. Fung, um, and we'll talk soon. Okay, thanks, Jeff. And before I sign off here, we're doing something new. We've created a new email, podcast at hvmn.com, podcast at human.com, to be our source of collating all your feedback uh, for our podcast. Uh, so send any requests for guests, podcast ideas, or feedback from myself and Zill. Uh, we'll read every single one of your emails. So again, podcast at human.com, podcast at hvmn.com. And one last thing, we're doing something new uh, starting this week. We're going to give away a Sprint Mini for every single customer that leaves a review on iTunes. So leave a review on iTunes, take a screenshot of that, 
and email us with that screenshot at podcast at human.com. And for all the customers in the U.S., we're going to send you a free Sprint Mini as a token of appreciation for your support for our program. Uh, so high level in conclusion, podcast at hvman.com. Leave an iTunes review. And then from there, we'll send you a Sprint Mini as a token of appreciation.